So let's introduce DJ. Hey everybody, my name is BJ and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is January 15, 1998. Uh, my home group is the Mitchell Mill Group of Wake Forest. And uh, what I like to do tonight is kind of what Josh read and how it works, share in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like today. Um, my, the way I got involved with alcohol was kind of indirect. Uh, my family, nobody in my family drank. I was raised on a tenant farm. That is, we worked, we, we owned, we lived in a house. We didn't own no land. We didn't own nothing. We worked the land that people owned, the houses owned. And we went to church. And my mama, she'd go to town about every two weeks. And that was about, about the extent of our life. I played with the kids that lived up and down the road from us. And uh, I, I never, you know, saw, you know, drinking or anything like that until I was about four years old, maybe. And we had a cousin that lived down the road. And I remember the first time he came up to the house and he, and he, he drank a lot. And uh, he, he was acting in a way I'd never seen him act before. He, he was slurring. I mean, he was, he was pretty drunk. He was loud. And... Uh, I remember, I remember he was stumbling around, and then he started crying, and, and, and he got sick, you know, and, and, you know, as a kid, seeing an adult cry, you know, that was kind of an awkward thing, and seeing somebody, an adult just get sick right out there in the yard, and, you know, my mama asked my mom, I said, what, I said, what's the matter with him? She said, he's been drinking. And she said it with, with, with a tone of voice, it was like, it, 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 it was something just, like really, what it, what I've learned it to be a disease, kind of a hushed tone, and um, something about that intrigued me, <laughs> really. And, uh, and and I became curious about that, and I remember I can't remember in general, I mean in, in the specifics, but I remember asking questions all along. We had a guy that worked. For us also, or worked with us, it lived in a little footpath through the woods beside our house, in a, in a little one-room shack. Come find out he drank. And, he, and the more he drank, he started coming over to the house more often. And, and so I got to see that. And, and I often wondered, you know, why, what it was that, that, you know, he was drinking that, that, that Sometimes he'd be smiling and happy and singing. And I said, well, you know, that don't seem so bad. And, and, and I noticed the woods over to the side of his house is all kind of liquor bottles and beer cans. And I'd walk off in there and I'd look at him. I'd pick those bottles up and those pretty bottles and, and cool looking cans. And that was, that was my first exposure to alcohol. And, and, for, for some reason, I, want, I knew that was something I wanted to be involved in. And, and I just didn't know when or how it was going to happen. 
But I knew, knew that's what I, I wanted to do. And I can't, I can't sit here and tell you my very first drink that I remember, but I remember one time, and I was probably about nine, maybe ten years old. My daddy and I was working, doing some work at a house of this lady whose some of her land we farmed also. And we were in there fixing a door, and in her pantry she had a bunch of beautiful bottles. And it had this all kind of juice-looking things. And I asked her, I said, what's that stuff? She said, that's blackberry wine. Well, you know, out in the country, I picked blackberries, so I knew all about blackberries. And I thought, I said, this is going to be great. I said, uh, can, I said can I have some? And, and she didn't even hesitate. She went and got a little old cup and, and poured me about a half a cup of it. And I drank it down. And that, that was all I needed to know right there. I knew. I knew that's what, I, I, like I said, I knew. I said, this, this, this is what I, I, I want to do. And there, there's several other instances where I got a sip here and a sip there. But uh, I remember we start, I, I can't remember exactly when I started getting able to get out and get drunk on a regular basis. But I know around the time I was about 11 or 12 years old. And we had basketball games at school I went to on Tuesday nights and Friday nights. And that was one thing that I, our school didn't have a football team or a baseball team worth talking about, but they had a great basketball team. And that was almost like a religion. That it, it, No matter how hard you worked or how tired people were, they went to those ball games. So I was able to get to the ball games. And I, instead of staying in, in the gym, though, I'd sneak outside. And, and we'd have people bring us beer up there and, Man, we thought it was the coolest thing in the world smoke cigarettes, drink beer, cuss and fuss and, you know, wrestle around. And, and that, that just got to be the thing that I look forward to more than anything. Getting a chance to get out, out of the house and go, go be with my buddies and drink. And, and you know, um, I didn't know nothing about that mental obsession. I didn't know. Nothing about how this thing, I knew nothing about the disease of alcoholism. So, so I was clueless to what I, I, was, I was setting myself up for. But there's other characteristics of the disease also that's taking place in my life. The mental, the mental things, the emotional things, little attitudes. You know, uh, we, we were considered poor, and I never really understood that until I started going to school. And, uh, you know, we had milk. We had we had a cow, and we got our milk. I didn't even know. I'd never seen milk in a carton, and, and and I didn't know. I didn't know how to open the carton. And the kids were, you know, making fun of me about that. And they was talking about stuff like kindergarten and all this, and I never heard nothing about that. And all all of a sudden, I started feeling like I didn't fit in. You know, and, and it really became noticeable when I'd be on the school bus and they. They'd be talking about going to the beach for the summer or going to the mountains. And they'd have all this cool stuff in their yards, these brick homes, and their swing sets and all. <clears throat> and, you know, I'd go home. i said, why, why, why don't I have this stuff? And, you know, I never, I never got an answer that, that was sufficient for me. I always felt like I was getting shortchanged. So, so I not only had that desire to drink going on, but I had this mental thing that I won't. I didn't quite fit in. 
in school up to about the fourth, maybe fifth grade, I, I did all right. I got I got fairly good grades, and uh, you know, I tried to fit in the best I could. And I played. I, I was able to play a little bit of little league baseball. They finally got a little baseball team going. But but just some about it. I just what the kids who were doing the right things, getting good grades, and all. I just felt like I won't won't quite measuring up. And I met up with this guy in the fifth grade who had failed a grade. And and man, it was just like I, me and him partnered up right then and there. He smoked, he cussed, and his daddy drank, and I was able to go over to his house. And that's all we talked about was drinking. And we'd sneak some of his daddy's liquor, which was pretty tough to do because his daddy drank a lot and he had liquor. He did. His daddy had liquor. He had all kind of places. And, and we, and we was forevermore trying to find out where his daddy hid the liquor. And when we find it, not only would, you know, we'd be excited about getting a drink, but we done found some of his stash. And so that, that was, you know, that was just, and that was just part of the disease going on that I didn't understand that, you know, feeling like we done got away with something. Well, me and this guy, we, we run around on up into, you know, our, our early teen years, and, and, and my drinking increased because I was able to get out of the house more. And I was able to connive and scheme and figure other ways to get alcohol. You know, it didn't matter that my family didn't drink. It didn't matter that, that we lived six miles from the nearest town. I, I wanted to drink, and I found ways to do it. And, and, you know, when I look back on that now, I realize, you know, I could have applied that, those same energies to getting good grades in school, to, you know, developing into a, a model citizen of some sort, but I wanted to drink. And that's what I did. And, and by, by the time I got in the early teens, you know, I was skipping school regularly. Done got caught drinking, coming home drunk several times. Um, I, I used to catch a ride in this one town that was near our house with this guy who had a girlfriend over there. And he'd go see her about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And then he picked me up uptown, dropped me off uptown, picked me up about 11 that night. So I had about seven miles of I could, I could just get out there. And there was a pool room in that town that I could go get alcohol. The man who run it didn't have a beer license. He didn't have a liquor license. But he, he'd sell you any kind of alcohol you wanted, just as long as you could, you were big enough to hand him the money. And, and what I had to do, though, the guy that, that gave me the ride into town, he didn't drink, and he didn't like it, the fact that I liked to drink. So I had to, as soon as he dropped me off, I had to get started. And if I was going to get drunk, I had to get drunk and try to be sobered up by 11 o'clock. And, and not have it on my breast or be so he could tell that I'd been drinking or been drunk. And that worked, that worked out pretty good for a while. I had a little time playing sit out. And, uh, it finally backfired on me. This girl I'd been talking to that lived about a mile out of town. Her mother had called this guy's mama and daddy and told him, told them that I'd been up there at their house, drunk, one night, trying to talk to their daughter. And I didn't remember it. That right there, 
for, for, for somebody who's just casual drinking, who's just being a wild kid or whatever, that right there should have been, been, a, been a, a sign. But to me, it was just I'd got caught or, or something had happened, but I don't remember it. And I told him I, I, didn't, I didn't do it. I denied it and, and denied it with a straight face because I knew in my heart I don't, you know, I didn't remember doing it. But that, apparently that was my first experience with blacking out. And um, we had situations where a lot of times us guys would get together and camp out and we'd get us a half gallon of liquor sometimes, beer. And I mean, we, we would just get just as drunk as you could want to get. And I'd always have fallings out with the guys. I, I was always the one who, you know, when everybody else was tired of drinking or they done puked and they said, well, I didn't have enough or I'm ready to go to sleep or I'm, let's, let's, let's just chill out and let this thing be over with. I'm, I, I still wanted to, to drink a few more. And I'd, and I'd always try to be the drunkest one. I'd always want to be the one. And, and, and something else about that is I love talking about it afterwards. That was the big thing is we could always get around, especially around the older guys, telling about that stuff. Well, that thing went along pretty good for a while, but after a while I kept getting in so much trouble at school. I got suspended. I was about 13, 14 years old. And I met up with this guy at that pool room I was training about who'd been to training school. He's about three or four years older than me. And he was telling me about he always had money. I said, how come you always got money? And, you know, you don't work, you know. And he told me about this guy he knew that, that would buy stuff that he'd get out of people's yards. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you something. You know, by that time, any, con- any you know, guilt or, or any conscience I had about stuff like that, it, it, it disintegrated. My parents, they taught, they took me to church. They taught me right from wrong. They taught me how to be honest and, 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 and do the right thing and definitely not steal. But, but I, I told them, I said, let me go help you sometime. And, and I, wanted, I wanted to be involved. I didn't watch my dad and my mama work, work like dogs year in, year out on somebody else's land living in somebody else's house that didn't even, didn't even have a bathroom in it or, or, or running water. And, and I said, you know, that in my mind, that, that meant working hard didn't pay off. That's what I justified. That was my first big justification, rationalization. And I got in with him, and, and we started doing it, and I started getting money like that. And... Um, I thought that was the coolest, most sophisticated thing that I'd come across. <laughs> you know, I really thought that, that you know, that we were stealing people's mini bikes, riding lawnmowers, dirt bikes. I thought, I, thought that, I thought that was what I should be doing. And I had more money than, than you know, I'd ever dreamed of having at that age. And with more money, you know, we'd always... Go to the bootleggers. We we go to these places. There's several places you could go and buy beer. Several beer joints that they didn't card and you back then didn't it didn't uh, it just wasn't something they did. 
And, you know, so we just go around and, and sometimes we get, get a car. You know, just back then people left, car, left the keys in cars. And, and, you know, we'd find a car that had keys in it. And we'd get it and drive it all. Or somebody would, you know, somebody we knew would had a car. And we'd get their keys after they passed out. It, it, it didn't matter, you know. And what, what was happening was I didn't have no boundaries or, or, or no, no parameters of, of, of other people's um, personal space, personal property. And, and, and you know, any, anything I'd been taught at home, you know, I could drink, I could drink down any kind of guilt or consciousness I had about that. This, you know, anything I might have felt that I was doing wrong by other people, it just didn't matter. And I won't even take into, a, into account that I was putting myself, my freedom at risk. Never thought about that. And um, I was 15 years old. Me and this guy had skipped school one day. And we, and we went, and we went this, he knew where this house was that has, had a bunch of, these, um, I don't know if y'all remember them old Eisenhower dollars when they came out, silver dollars. And he said he knew that man saved a lot of them. Anyway, we went down, broke into his place while, he was, while you know, they were going to work or whatever, and, and got like four pillowcase fulls of those things. And, and, some, and, a, and a lady saw us leaving. And, and, and you know, we, we, she hollered and we ran. And we freaked out. And we, we said, we're going to have to just leave. We're just going to have to leave from around here. And we did. We took off and uh, we started spending our money. Our money got low. By that time, you know, we, we, I didn't got involved with, you know, having guns around. I was raised up. When my dad, he hunted. So I knew about guns. I knew how to shoot guns. And, and I learned about pistols. So, you know, guns wasn't something I was familiar with. And um, when our money, our money got low, we decided that um, we'd do a robbery. And, and um, went in this place, robbed it, got the money. And we may have got a couple of three hundred dollars. This we're talking the early seventies, early mid seventies. That wasn't a bad bad amount of money. And we thought, you know, we thought it was funny. We were trying to laugh about it. You know, we weren't drunk. We weren't. I mean, we weren't dead drunk. I mean, we've been drinking. We've been drinking now. But we, you know, this thing. It done escalated to the point that, you know, I've gone from, you know, feeling like it's okay to get people's lawnmowers and stuff out of their yard to sticking a gun in somebody's face and saying, hey, give me your money. Somehow or another, I won't, I, I won't connect in how far this thing done got out of hand. I won't, I won't connect in how, how my life at that point, that unmanageability that we read about in that first step, was was manifesting itself in my life in a way that was that I just didn't even realize was about to happen. And we got away. Well, I say uh, let me rephrase that because I don't believe you ever get away with anything like that now. But we didn't get caught by the law that time, and we didn't get caught by the law some more times. 
But later on, we did get caught. And I was 15 years old, sitting in jail with a robbery charge. And then, you know, wondering, you know, how this happened. You know, scared to death. Mad. I was mad. <laughs> Imagine that. Mad because we got caught. And, and, and also concerned that uh, I won't be able to drink no more. Because at that point, at that time, I drank. I kept a bill going all the time. You know, that was, that was, that was like a staple. You know, you know there are outside issues in my story too, but beer and, and a lot of times liquor was a, was a, like an ongoing thing. And, uh, I didn't like the thoughts of that, not being able to drink. So I sat in jail for a little while and, and the boy who was uh, with me, his daddy got a lawyer and got with my daddy. And they came and got us out of jail. And, uh, you know, by that time, I done had countless whoopings. Me and my daddy done, done arguing, fussed, cussed at each other. We done, we done, we done went, went through every kind of domestic Dispute that you know you can think of, and it, and it just want nothing else to say on his part. But for some reason, he still came, got me out of jail, and I and and I didn't want to stay at home. And I and as soon as we got home, and I you know my mama she she fussed and cried. My sister was living with us then. She fussed and cried. And as soon as I and as soon as I got out from under that, I left. And um, just went out doing what I, I, I knew to do. Got walked walked about five six miles to the nearest town. Got in with some people and got some money and we we started drinking. And um, that went on for a little while until, until my court date come up. Long and to make a long story short, I ended up with a three year sentence. I was able to plead, plead guilty to a lesser charge. My age factored into it. And, um, you know, I, here I was going to prison. You know, and, 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 you know, weren't even old enough to drive yet. And not even have my driver's license. Other kids that I'd, I'd started school with, they were, they were still, you know, they were starting to get summer jobs. They were doing, Regular things, had girlfriends going out on dates, doing stuff. And here I was sitting in prison. First time, I'm in, they took me to um, what they called the high rise in Morgan, Western Correctional Center was what they called it then. And um, it was just su- such a culture shock. You know, here I am, one minute, I'm free, next day. I'm, 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 I'm locked up in prison. And, um, but the thing about it, I found out, well, there's a lot of guys in there that thought the same way I did. And, and, and had the same attitudes and outlooks on life that I did. And I, and I even had a couple of homeboys there that I knew from the streets and didn't, didn't even know where they went. And, <laughs> and it's like, Hey, 
you know, maybe this ain't going to be so bad after all. That's, and I know that sounds crazy, but it was a relief because, you know, I had people there I could, I could identify with. And even though we didn't have access to alcohol every day, we talked about it enough to wear our mouths in water. We talked about the, the so-called good times and all the fun and all the money we made. And, and of course, we never told the truth about it. <laughs> you know, that war story thing, we, we, we went in depth about that. But, um, you know, uh, I, was able, I was able to uh, make minimum custody while I was there. And I was transferred right up here to this uh, place about 10 miles from here called Sand Hills Youth Center. Sand Hills Youth Center is a minimum custody facility with no fence. It's for, it is, at that time, it's from, for 16 to 18 year olds. And, and all, we done heard all the stories about, they got a store right across the road from there. And, and, and that guy don't care nothing. He don't mind one bit selling alcohol to somebody who comes over there from the prison. And I thought to myself, I said, man, I've made it. I've made it. <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, we weren't able to drink like we did on the outside, but we got our taste and we got, and, and we got that feeling of, like I said earlier, like when my, my buddy and me were stealing liquor from his daddy, we got that little mind registering success. That, oh, I got, I got some alcohol, and we got over on the state. We're drinking liquor in their, in their prison system, and ain't nothing they can do about it. And, and man, you know, that, that, that was, you know, you know, that was a great feeling. It was, it, was, it, was, it was just a great opportunity, I thought, at that time. My time now went by, by the way it did before. I hung out with the guys who were just all the time scheming and conniving about what we was going to do when we get out. Uh, just telling war stories about drinking and other stuff and, and, and you know, what kind of ways we was going to make money when we get out. Had plenty of opportunities to go to school. Had plenty of opportunities to turn my life completely around. And never even thought twice about it. Just had my name on the GED roll. And um, went, went to that class about two hours in the morning. The rest of the time, hung out on the yard and shot basketball, played softball, worked out, and just whatever else you know I could do. And um, there's one morning... I was down there in GED class, and they called me, told me they wanted to see me at the superintendent, assistant superintendent's office. I said, oh, Lord, because, you, know, uh, you know, that could have been any, any number of things, because, like I said, we, I, was, I was involved in a lot of little things going on. So, so I went up there, and the guy's name was Mr. Bullock. I'll never forget him. He smoked a pipe. And... Uh, he called me now. He was, he was a real stern looking guy. He said, he said, um, he said, Blaine, I got some, I got some bad news for you. I said, hmm. I said, here it comes. He said, um, your family called and said you, said, said your father had died. I didn't know how to feel. You know, my, my dad and I, we didn't have a good relationship at all. 
And uh, I just didn't know how to feel. I tried to sit there and look sad. And ever had, you know, I thought you might be supposed to look, but I didn't know what to say. And uh, he told me that, that he had committed suicide. And uh, I, you know, I just didn't know what to say. But I knew how to feel the next thing he said. And this, this is, when I look back on it, a sad testimony to, to, to where this disease had progressed for me. He said, but your uncle and your cousin are on their way up here to get you. And they're gonna, we're going to allow you a 72-hour emergency leave to go to the funeral and be with your family. And I thought, hmm, I know what I'm going to do. And, and that was... That was all I thought about. And my uncle and my, my, my cousin, they came and got me. And it was an awkward ride home. I got there, and, and, you know, the family was just all to pieces. And I got in there, and I, I hugged my mom and my sisters and some other family and stood around. And it's just a very awkward moment. And finally, one of my cousins, who I'd run around with and drank with, he eased up on me. He said, oh, hey. I said, you all right? I said, yeah, but I said, we need, we need, to, we need to get out of here. So let's, let's go get something to drink. So we slid on out, and that's, that's what I proceeded to do. We, stayed, we, we, we bought beer. We bought liquor. And I kept it there at my sister's house where I could go outside and drink. I know, I know people, I know the people that were, you know, the family members and friends that were at the house. I mean, they, they had to see it, smell it on me. I didn't, I didn't care. I mean, I just, I just wanted to do what, what I, what I knew best. I wanted, I, I wanted to just drink at, at that time. I mean, I didn't know how to feel, didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, I, I know it was, I know it was a pretty bad time in my drinking because um, it was it was a lot of years later that I, I went to that same church that, that my daddy's funeral was at and, and the person I was there with I, I asked him I said uh, was daddy's funeral here because I really, really and truly at that particular time don't don't remember much that much about it. Anyway, you know, that's, that's what I did during my, my, my daddy's funeral. And um, none of that just, none of that registered to me that, you know, this thing, this drinking thing is way out of hand. Your, your thought processes about alcohol are coming before anything else. And um, I went on back to the camp and just got back involved doing the same things I was doing. And my mama, she, you know, they, my uncle and my aunt, they started bringing her just about every week then because she had so much hope for me getting out and coming home and changing and doing the right thing and kind of kind of being, being a man, you know, and just kind of helping her out. And, just, and we talked about it at visits and, you know, I, I knew in my heart that I said, I'm, you know, it's just 
I knew in my heart I was just saying this stuff for her benefit. They had to visit. So um, the day I got out, I had about 90 days left on my sentence. So a parole officer came and got me. Came, took me home. And we got there while my mother, she wasn't, wasn't there. But this guy that my sister had married while, while I'd been locked up was there. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. And he was there drunk. And I mean, he was like, hey, go on, Bo, you're at home. He said, let's take a drink. And I said, all right. You know, yeah. And um, we started drinking. And, you know, we was drinking liquor. I never forget his ancient age. And he used to stop the bootleggers on his way. He worked third shift at a cotton mill. He stopped the bootleggers every morning and get him two pints. And um, me and him said, and we drunk a fair amount of wine. And by the time my mama got home, first thing she got to see was me sitting in her porch swing, drunk. And, uh, you know, the look on her face, you know, was, was just like, you know, here it, here it goes again. Um, make a long story short, I, didn't, I did not follow through with the things. Did I the good sounding things I said to my mom at visits? I, I stayed at her house for about a week or two. And I, I found this girl that let me stay with her. And I moved in with her. And I, I, my drinking was the progressiveness that we talk about in this disease. My drinking just went from, from zero to 150 without me even realizing it. Because I told myself, kind of like my, 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 my plan for getting out was, I'm, I'm going to just drink beer. And uh, I'm going to sell marijuana. And, and I'm going to do a little bit of stealing. No, no, no job. I'm not going to work a job. I'm not going back to school. I'm not going to do anything. My plan was to, you know, do all this low-key stuff. I'm not going to, you know... Rob nobody else. I'm not going to drink a lot of liquor. I'm not going to do any. Just a lot of I'm not going to do is what it, what it boiled down to. But it's not just it's drinking beer. Kind of like Dr. Bob's talked about that beer experiment he had. I began drinking a tremendous amount of beer in a short time. My first week out, three or four would get me buzzed up pretty good. In about three weeks, I was getting a 12-pack, and I was drinking it down, and I was trying to, trying to drink so the last one wouldn't even be warm. And, and I was just so impressed at how much I could drink, and I thought other people would be too. The people, people were like, like, man, slow down. Say, you know, what's, you know what's, what's the matter? I said, man, making up for lost time. Or, you know, I always have some old... Old slick thing to say. And, um, but the drinking that beer got to be a hassle. And one morning, I got up to this guy who, who had also just got out of prison. And, um, we, I figured me and him maybe get together and kind of scheme and connive on some, some, some money making things, pool ideas together. And he's, and it's about 
it was, it was fairly early. He said, man, let's go to the liquor store. I said, cool. So we went and got us a fifth of liquor. It was, it, fifth of gin. I, I'll never forget it. And we sipped on that thing to about, about 10, 11 o'clock. And I thought to myself, I said, now this, this is what I, I need to start buying early in the morning. I said, beer. That beer is just getting to be too much. You know, I'm having to drink too much beer, too fast. All those cans, all this. So, you know, I thought I'd done stumbled up on, on, on a great idea. And needless to say, that the liquor experiment didn't work out well either. I was, I was back doing the same thing that I was doing before. And I was back to where it didn't, you know, it just didn't matter anymore. Um, the ways I, I cared about getting money didn't matter either. And in one long guy approached me about a, about a robbery scheme. And he knew this guy who was selling drugs. He had a lot of money. He said, he said let's, let's, let's do this. And I said, I'm with you. So we, we set up this trap that we was going to get this guy that we, 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 we kind of knew his movements or thought we did. And uh, somebody else fell up in it. And uh, one thing after another went wrong real fast. And I ended up shooting and killing one of the guys. And, uh, and like in less than a couple of days, I, I was arrested. And, um, you know, I thought, I thought that was the end. And I, and, and I, and, but I didn't think it was, you know, like nothing I had done wrong. I thought I just got caught. And, um, I was very bitter because the guy who'd come to me with the robbery scheme was going to turn state's evidence against me. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, that um, the, all these emotions, all this fear, anger, resentment, I mean, all of a sudden it was me against the world. And um, by the grace of God, I went to court. I didn't, I didn't get a death sentence, but I got a life sentence. And I'd gotten in some trouble in jail, so instead of sending me at 19 years old to Pope Youth Center, I was, was court-ordered to go to Central Prison. And... Um, just like when I went to Morgan and High Rise and saying he was you, son. I found I fell right in with a group of guys. And there, and there was plenty of them there. There's plenty of illegal activity going on. Plenty of stuff to do. And uh, I fit right in. And 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 I was where I, I was where I needed to be, locked up. Um I had a lot of conflicts, a lot of problems with other prisoners, with staff, a lot of trouble. And uh, over the years, I learned how to avoid getting in so much trouble. But I was still involved in a lot of different things. You know, the longer you're in there, the more, more you learn how to, how to get around. You know, you learn what, what guards you can do things on, what shifts you can do things on. And just like anybody else, you know, I, I learned how to maneuver and do whatever I could in prison. I knew my, I knew there was something 
won't write in my life. I tried some things. I, I knew I wanted to change. I just didn't know how. You know, I'd been, I went to school. Went through a lot of school programs. Got a bachelor's degree. But all I was just an educated crook. Inside, I was just, I, I was just as rotten as I'd been the day I came into prison. Um, I, I was at, um, Nash Correctional Institution was in 19, January of 98. And a, and a friend of mine, a guy I'd met at Central Prison, he, he came there. Nash was set up in four different units, like four separate prisons. He's in a different unit from me, but I saw him on the sidewalk. We met up in the chow hall for a little bit. And I said, man, I said, I'd like to talk to you. I said, Let's, how can we meet up somewhere and, and, and talk? I said, I said, are you trying to maybe get over my unit? And he said, he said, they're having an AA meeting over there in your unit tonight. He said, he said, I'll be over there. I've been, I've been in that, I've been in that block that I was in for about six years in. The meeting room was right across the hall from, from my block, and that was the first I'd heard of. Wow. <laughs> anyway, I went in that, I went to that meeting, and I went in there. Saying, well, I know what this is going to be. A bunch of people in there whining, complaining about, I can't drink no more. I was, you know, I just had a lot of preconceived notions. Of, but, but it wasn't that. There's some guys that brought that meeting in there who, who I, I love and appreciate now as much as any, any people on this earth. And they, they talked about everything except what I thought they'd be talking about. And they was real. They was talking about real feelings and dealing with real life situations in ways that I'd never heard people come across. And they were genuine because I'd done been, I'd done been locked up over 20 years then. And I could look you in the eye and I knew if you was, if you was coming at me straight or not. And these guys were telling me the truth about what they were saying. They didn't have no hidden agenda. They didn't have no other reason to come in there other than to do what they was doing. They weren't getting paid. They, they, they had to go through a, a hateful program staff. They had to go, to go through a gatehouse where there's a lot of guards who preferred not having to do the work of processing them in and out. And they come in there smiling. They come in there with some peace of mind. It's something that I just, you just do not see very often in prison. And I thought to myself, I said, that's, that was, you know, when we read the traditions, they talk about the attraction, not the promotion. Those guys had something that attracted me. And I, and I, can, and I continue to go back to that meeting. It's once a week. And I didn't jump in this thing head first and say, oh, that's what I'm, what I'm going to be doing, you know, for the next 14 years of my life. And this is something I'm, I'm saying I was going to do every Thursday night. They said, come on in. Take what you need. Leave the rest. Said, it's just an hour. Say the choice is yours. Only you can say you're an alcoholic. And, and I was willing to admit, after just that first time, that, that that I probably might be an alcoholic. You know, that I, that my drinking could probably be, have been an alcoholic. And I had a lot of ideas, preconceived notions, what alcoholic really was. But, but I, I went through there as a treatment program also at that facility. And, and I, got, I, I got 
got this 28-day program. It's dark. Some of y'all familiar with it. And in there, we, we, we went over the doctor's opinion. We studied it. And, and I identified with the doctor's opinion in, in, in a way that nothing else I'd ever tried for was changing. And I could identify with. And the stories that I read in that book, I identified with. And more and more, this thing became clearer and clearer. And, and it, was, it was an ongoing process. I didn't, I didn't have that bright light experience that Bill Wilson had, and I'm still not having it. My, 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 my spiritual awakening is an ongoing process that's, that's happening right now at this moment. And I, and, and I believe as long as I'm involved in this process, it'll never end. I got a chance to go, go to other, other prison facilities. And what I did, same way I did when I would go to a new, new camp, instead of finding out who had the card games, who was, who was making the money, I found out what, the AA, what time the AA meeting was and the guys who were um, at the meetings. And got in there with them and found out and, and, and hung out with them on the yard, got to know them. And try to be supportive of them, and try to seek support from them. Got to know the volunteers, and a lot of them, a lot of them are sitting in these rooms, sitting in this room today. Guys, that I, would, I, would, I would just long look forward to, and just long to see and, and hear what they brought in to share with us. Uh, after after I got got involved in AA in you know January fifteenth, nineteen ninety eight. I was at seven different prison camps, and uh, every one of those camps, I, I, I went to every AA meeting I could, and, and was involved as, as much as I could be involved in it. Same way I was involved in the, in the, in the hustling, and in the other things, the, you know, the illegal stuff, because I, I knew that this was something that, that, that could make a big difference in my life. It wasn't about maybe getting out of prison one day because I was doing that life sentence. And at that time, politics wasn't uh, very, very favorable to, to long-term violent offenders. But some, something that really gave me a lot of hope, it's on the back of this, um, this uh, pamphlet that we have, that on that page 100, we talked about you and the new man. And at the end it says, talks about how... How your life can be, no matter what your present circumstances. And, and there were times I clung to that. And uh, today, I have that I have that plaque up on, on up right up in my as you come in my house, hanging up that I was giving giving at a meeting that the guys that the guys this the home group of the guys who brought my first meeting to me in prison. So that that. Um, that and just so many other parts of the program, so many things out of the book are things that just, just carried me in prison. Even though I didn't have access to drinking, you know, like, and it won't like I had to go through a detox and I had to go through, you know, withdrawals of alcohol or I was going by the mini mart and having to steer clear of the beer cooler. But my attitudes, my outlooks needed working on. And, and, and I worked hard on that. I worked hard to change. Uh, 
I, I heard a guy in a meeting today that I was at who, who got sober in prison. And, and he said he asked his sponsor, was it wrong to, was it wrong to gamble? And I had asked a, a, a guy the very same thing. And he told me, he said, oh, just by you having to ask me that is your answer right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, I said, you know, that I, you know, getting out what wasn't part of, you know, what I was thinking about when I got in this program. But, but as many of the gifts and the blessings of, of living this way are, it came about that I was, I was considered for a map. And what that is, it's a acronym for Mutual Agreement Parole Program. It's a, set up for long timers to, to trans, transition you back into the system. And uh, I was blessed to get, be put on a, a map in, in 2009. Shortly thereafter, I was allowed to go out to three AA meetings a week with an outside sponsor. I was allowed to go out on work release. And I tell you, the first meeting I went to, I'd been locked up about 29 years then. The outside meeting, and I, the first time I'd been out away from anywhere that, you know, won't, you know, won't, won't, uh, that I wanted full restraints, that I want with a prison official. And I was all to pieces. I'd been, you know, I knew, I knew I was going to go out on my pass about two days before that, and my nerves were shot. And we got to that meeting, and I was, everybody was just, the guy who took me out, he told everybody, he said, man, this is his first meeting out in almost three decades. Make him feel, make him feel welcome. And I'm like, okay. And, um, but, um, all, all that anxiety and concern subsided immediately when we prayed the serenity prayer. And, uh, the reading started. It's just like AA ain't, ain't no different on the outside. It is in prison. The spirit of AA transcends prison walls, offenses, and I and, and I'm and I'm blessed to be able to take meetings or a treatment facility with my home group. And the spirit of AA goes wherever, wherever we're willing to take it. Um, I, I was able to establish me a good network of people. I was in Asheville at the time. And I was able to establish a home group, a sponsor. I got out on a Monday at 2 o'clock, 6 o'clock that evening. I was at at a meeting that I'd been going to out on passes. And I've been able to make meetings on a regular basis since I've been out. I moved back down near Raleigh. I immediately got, got involved in AA in that area. My home group's in Wake Forest. I started going to meetings there. I'm, 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 a network was just like just that instant. I didn't have to seek people out. You know, people accepted me. I, I, I got a home group. I got become a part of that home group, and, and things just 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 clicked. And it's because I was willing to do what was suggested to me in prison. Well, I was willing to do what the guys who was willing to come into prison. They taught me how to live in those rooms. They taught me how to live starting right in the rooms, how to act and have, have some dignity and integrity and some etiquette and, and, and 
carrot and told me to take that into the block and out on the yard and in the dorms and in the job, whatever kind of prison job I had. Do that job just like I, I was doing it for, for, for uh, on, on the street. Like I was really, do that job, give that man a, a good day's work. Thank, living skills is what I learned in here. And uh, since I've been out, you know, I, I, I left my work lease job. I came, came down here when the economy wasn't that good. Put in a lot of applications. And, and the principals of the program are right there with me. He's guiding me and showing me what, what I needed to do. I didn't get too disappointed. I didn't get too caught up. The, the adjustment process has been amazing. You know, I've taught, I, you know in, when you're locked up, you got guys always telling you war stories about getting out. Say, oh man, you just, you're going to have a hard time making it out there. You know, as long as you've been locked up, man, they got cell phones, they got this, everything's done. Change so much, you know. I'm like, well, okay. Because, you know, I, I've learned to live in AA, and, and I've learned to live in a way that, you know, change is a part of life. I learned that, that serenity prayer that we pray at the beginning of the meetings isn't just something for me that fills up that first minute or so of the meeting. You know, there's things that come to my life every day that, that you know, I don't understand. That I, that, but I, I, I find a way to accept them. And I learned about that in AA. I learned about it because, like I say, the, the people who was willing to bring those meetings in, in, into prisons. Um, I, got, I, I finally got a job at a, at working in a snappy loo. And for y'all's information, that's a young man's job now. <laughs> but I was, there, I was able to do all right. I was around a lot of young guys. All they talked about was drinking and getting high. And, and uh, But I was able to do, do, do a good job. And I was able to do my part. And um, I got up with a guy who, who told me about this um, guy out of Wake Tech who was in the program. He said, go talk to him. So maybe you want to get back in school. I talked to him. He said, man, there's a, there's a program called Human Services. Be a good fit for you. You find out kind of where you where you'd fit in at. Because I I know that I, I wanted to do something with this life experiences I've had up to this point. The, the program was five classes in a 160 hour co-op, which is so so like an internship. I did my classes, and I, and I got involved with a in, with an agency to do my co-op that I that I'm working at now, it's a long-term, it has a long-term treatment program. You know, I, that's just an amazing blessing of how the, how the program work, how the connections and the network work to get me where I'm at in, in that job. Because there's no way I'd ever thought that I'd be working in a situation like that. And um, I, work in a, I work in a detox unit where I see this disease head on. And, 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 you know, I get, I get to see that this disease don't, don't discriminate. I found out that the same disease affects people that come to my home group 
who still had their jobs, still had their cars, are still married. I can look in their eyes and see that, that there's a, something missing. And I see that same look in the eyes of a guy that Raleigh Police Department's been brought up there. And they just got him out from under a bridge. And, they, and I'm wanting so bad to help to get this guy in a shower because he's, he's, he's been living on the street for, for weeks probably drinking and, and, and not bathing and just, but the same look is there. No matter where we're at, you know, what part of what part of life where this disease can get us. And, and, and you know, I, I, I'm learning that it don't matter what I have or who I'm with or where I'm at that's important. It's what I have in here. And AA gave me what I got in here. Gave me me, myself back. The real me, not some, some drunk image that I wanted to be as a kid coming up some some crook that I done, done, done made on my uh, role model. Some guy who, the guy who was buying that stuff from the, the mini bikes and those go karts and them lawnmowers from us. I don't, I, I didn't, you know, I don't, that's not the person I want to be like. I want to be like me. I want to be the person that my higher power created. And I learned how, how to do that in this program. There's nothing else on this earth, I believe, that, that could, could put me in the place that I'm at with myself today. Because I am an alcoholic. I know today, without a doubt, I'm an alcoholic. The literature, the things I've heard in meetings, and when I honestly look back and work those steps with another man and looked him face to face and, and told him the things that were on my fourth step, let, let me know that... that this drinking wasn't just a problem. This drinking wasn't just some some little wild thing I was doing as a kid. This drinking was a part of a disease. It didn't matter how I got it or where it come from. Just by the grace of God, I know I'm an alcoholic. My sponsor told me when he first, him and I first started talking. He said every night and every morning before you get up, I mean when you get up and pray, I want you to to Thank God that you know that you're an alcoholic. And thank God and ask him for help. And thank God you know where that help's coming from. And that puts everything in perspective. Anything I think I want for that day, that right there has everything in perspective. And that, that puts me in a position of humility and surrender for whatever the day might come. And I'm not going to sit here and say I've done that perfect. But I've, I've done it enough to where I can, I haven't gone back to prison. I haven't relapsed. I haven't. The only times that I, I see law enforcement now is when I'm dealing with them, in, working together with them to help another individual who's suffering from this disease. And um, you know, it's by the grace of God that I, I'm, I'm standing here before y'all. You know, I, I was a long time. I thought I'd never get out of prison. And I was okay with that once I got in this program. But, um, you know, when Dean asked me would I be willing to speak, I almost cried. Because I'd heard so much about this conference for years from so many volunteers. And they'd always say, and a lot of them just didn't know, know my situation. They said, man, if you ever get out, or when, no, no, they'd say, when you get out, 
you need to go to that. And I thought to myself, I said, man, that might not ever happen. But here I am. And, and it's because of Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm, I'm where I am. Because I, I, I feel for sure I, I probably never gave, gave the prison system a chance, <laughs> a fair chance to let me out had I not grasped the principles of this program enough to, to do what I've done so far. I appreciate y'all listening to me. I hope and pray something I say has been a benefit to somebody. Thank you.